Hey everyone, Jeremy National Fire Radio. Welcome back to the podcast. Today is long overdue. Roger Winneck out of the Somerville Fire Rescue Department at South Carolina. Roger and I passed cro- cross paths uh, several years ago, and this has been long overdue. This is a guy that is passionate about fire apparatus. He's the apparatus coordinator or maintenance coordinator for Somerville. Um, and we we go down a lot of roads through text messages, Roger, where we're talking about trucks and we're talking about what's happening, about the industry, what you're dealing with, the new purchases you guys are doing down in Somerville, and so on. So, brother, long overdue, but welcome to the show, man. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on, Jeremy. It's greatly appreciate this. Yeah, this is cool, man. You know, it's that's what I get to do. I get to talk with friends. I get to talk with guys that I think bring a lot of value to this to the service. And for me, it's like I have the best conversations with people. And then I'm like, why why am I not sharing this with the world? Because the other other guys in this industry would love to hear what we're talking about because there's some really good stuff. You know, I'll never, I'll never forget how we met was back in I think it was 2019 mm. at the FDIC show when we had the uh, ladder 302 in the show it was a, our first tiller. Yes, and man, I just was getting things kind of ready and, and you know for the show, and this guy comes up and he's all over our rig like raving about it and it's like oh that's Jeremy from National Fire Radio and then we just you know started exchanging stuff whatever and that's that's how it really all started between me and you. Yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing, right? It was a standout, right? I think, was that your first TDA? Yeah, it was. It was. And w- this is something I want to talk about because it seems like down in the Carolinas, there's a there's a cultural shift that's happening. And it has been happening where it comes to um, designing apparatus more aggressively for the fire ground, um, more aggressive take on firefighting, if you will. I know that's a very loaded question or loaded statement that a lot of people will take issue with. But it just seems like as... The, as the uh, as time is ticking on, there's been a, a cultural shift down there. I could be totally wrong, but I'm just saying from an outsider looking, you know, from the outside in, it just appears that way. And apparatus certainly are at the forefront of that because you guys are designing apparatus that are definitely geared towards your way of doing things in in South Carolina. Yeah, I've seen a lot more tillers pop up in the Carolinas, uh, especially George has always been a hotbed too. Mm. Um, but. I think what you're seeing is a lot of your small plazas, your um, apartment complexes that are going up, tight areas. You need these type of vehicles to maneuver in and out. Plus, they're equipment haulers, too. So, say, if you don't have a heavy rescue company, you can do both firefighting and a rescue with one of these. It's it's a nice uh, rolling toolbox. Yeah, so talk to me a little bit then. Let's just dive right in. Somerville, I mean, going from... Uh, the existing department you were to uh, purchasing, designing, and now uh, implementing more than one. I think you have two TDAs now on the on the line. Yeah, we have two TDAs. Um, you know, we had the first one in 2019, right? And uh, basically, we need to do another one. We need to do another aerial right after that, and we just made both trucks match in a sense. You know, theory of them. Yeah. Um, when you put both trucks together, and you really look into or the compartments and how they're laid out, they are different trucks they even look a little different from the exterior but they're both similar in operation and that was another nice feature of interoperability between the companies what was what was the shift to go to a tda back in 2019 or 2018 2017 when you were designing it like what was the how did that conversation start and and where did the momentum come from because a lot of times people right away are like we don't need it and that's even before they understand what it can truly do for you there was a lot of that. Um, at that time, 
I'm just one person as a contributor on our apparatus sure. committees and our operations chief at the time um, met with one of the captains and they all talked about, well, why not a TDA? And then they, we started going down all the process of that and it how it ended up getting a TDA versus a straight body aerial. And uh, it just worked from there. Um, what was what was some of the talking points behind that? What were some of the selling points? I mean, again, all, all of what I said earlier was just, you know, you're getting maneuverability in some of these uh, strip mall plazas, apartment complexes that are going up all over tighter neighborhoods. Um, you know, some of the guys even went to go look at some TDAs out in the, the region and, and, you know, just started making sense. We started getting going on the build of the crews on that ladder company. One guy did, we're going to do everything but firefight. Another crew was like, we're going to do everything but rescue. They kind of did a layout of that first truck, and they did a phenomenal job. I mean, they even took paper drawings, drew everything out where everything needed to be, and, and everybody had their hands or their part in, in that truck, and it was it was really cool. Um, and, and certain things that you know we wanted, I think that we look at our trucks, the locker compartment's unique versus a lot of TDAs. So I always was getting hit with Roger, that, like, sit on your hands, man. You're banging them on the desk, and that's all I hear. So sit on your hands. Go. So when the um, the locker compartments came into to effect, we're just looking to get all the space we needed. We didn't have an EMS cabinet in, in a cab, so we needed to find room for our charging accessories. At the time, we were thinking we are going to put the um, Homatro tools in there, and that didn't happen. We put them in the trailer instead. But then up above, we did a storage for like your salvage covers, you know, roof saw, you know, K-12 saw. And right underneath there, you got our generator. Plus in there, you got core reel, air reels. It, it worked. And, yeah. you know, when you got a piece like this, you just want to try to capture everything. And, you know, in the trailer, we needed a lot of room and a lot of space. When we got the truck, and even at FDIC, there was empty compartments because we took the truck to our dealership and had them do all the shelving trays being it was our first one that was a learning process um it was nice to have it out that um allotment to do that and when we got to the dealership you know i think it was a few weeks after the show got everybody there tools and equipment was already there they could fabricate everything pool boards shelves trays right. you know it, it was it was a big undertaking for them to do. In the past, I would be the one to do that for tools and equipment mounting on the pumpers. But a project like that would have taken me quite a while, and, and it sure. was nice to have them do that for us. Yeah, are you guys are you guys seeing growth in your area? Is your fire district growing? Absolutely, it, it's the whole the whole region by the day is growing. Um, yeah, I, I came here in two thousand seven. I'm two thousand seven, and from then we are now up to our sixth fire station. And, and back in mm. 2007, we opened up our fourth fire station. Okay. Okay. So you're seeing that explosive growth. And I think that's part of it too. I think it all goes hand in hand. And I'd love some feedback on this, but my thoughts are like, I know a lot of guys from up in the Northeast where it's very hard to get a career fire job are moving down into the Carolinas. It's the cost of living is more, is, is more affordable. Uh, it's 
a little bit easier to find career fire jobs um, and so on. And so I think it's a really interesting combination because there is sprawl and growth down there because of that. A lot of people leaving different parts of the country to go there. It's more affordable, which then makes the job busier. And you guys are now scaling your department and the apparatus have to match the scaling. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right about that, Jeremy. Just to, to let you know where my story began. Yeah. That's where I was from, Buffalo, New York. <laughs> yeah, and, um, a little colder up there, brother. Yeah, and, and you, you hit it the nail on the head with you know not getting on the job up, up in the north. Um, I never was able to get on the job at Buffalo Fire. Um, yeah, I tried applying for jobs down down towards the south because I knew it was just wasn't going to happen. Um, my background was I worked for American La France. I worked for them mm. from 2000 till about 2007. Um, at the plant I worked at was is now E1 Hamburg, but they were American La France Hamburg, and right. I, I built the fire truck bodies. Um, so I knew a lot of things, seen a lot of things um, through the years. Even during like the the 2004 to 2006, when you had the Homeland Security money and those big heavy rescues that were coming off, and it just the money right. was was going out there for that stuff. Um, so in about oh six, we. My, my now my wife, then then my fiance, we were looking at jobs. She was looking at teaching job. I was looking at, you know, getting to either if I couldn't get into a professional job, maybe I could tra- do a lateral transfer to the yeah. main plant. And they had one here in Somerville. So um, I did a lateral transfer, moved down. We moved in August of 07 and um, about that, that year was interesting because we we didn't have a family here it was just, mm-hmm. we, we, we moved down here for yeah, a transplant yeah. yeah um the first couple of weeks i noticed they were taking tapping people on the shoulder and walking people out the door and it was just for no reason at all and, and that was scary because we moved our whole life here and i'm like am i gonna be the next one they're gonna tap on the shoulder walk out the door and that, this that was, was at la france yeah somerville yeah. okay yeah yeah and um, a few months later, during, of course, Christmas time, we're doing furloughs of employees. Yeah. Yep. At that point, then I knew. Writing was on the wall. I, exactly. And, yeah. and um, I enjoyed what I did, but I also knew I had to do for my family. And I was very fortunate sure. to get on you know, with Somerville. And um, I hadn't looked back since then. And I got on the job. Yeah, and at that time, right? I mean, it was, it was a much sleepier of an area, right? I have to think it was... Uh... It was still growing, and and, and yeah. yeah, but um, yeah, the growth just it's exploded. <laughs> and and during the whole um, housing market crash, there were still some subdivisions that were steadily building. There were, yeah. still, well, of course, bigger plans to keep building, but sure, you know, like even the neighborhood just to the right of us at the time that was still building throughout that. So once that got squared away, then just it exploded with growth. Yeah, well, it shook the market up in the Northeast, and a lot of people were looking for an exit. They were looking for a more affordable place to go, and I think that was that was a big uh, defining moment of it. And uh, and I think there's a after COVID again, there's another resurgence of people trying to get away from city centers and and trying to distance themselves a little bit from the from the urban uh, environment. And so I'm sure you're seeing that as well. But the uptick, I just know how how much I don't want to say how much easier it is. There is more opportunity down there when it comes to career fire department. 
And uh, the Northeast is saturated with what it is. The only growth that's happening is when a city puts on a class of, you know, 20 or 30. The only big hiring department around here is New York City, but they're embattled with their lists are always getting thrown out or the list goes on and on. And I know where I am in New Jersey, the civil service test, it, you know, it could, that list could last for five to six years before they throw before they offer it again. And you have to carry residency up here. You can't get hired in a neighboring town if you don't have residency there and all these different things. So it just is, it's just prime for guys up here to head south to find jobs and to follow their passion. But what's exciting about that is a town like Somerville where you're seeing this excitement and this department that is is building themselves to be an aggressive fire department that matches a lot of, uh, you know, the uh, the roles of, of how other departments are doing it across the country, and especially that Northeast attitude, right? I, I freaking love it. Yeah, uh, and that it, it came down with our leadership. I mean, yeah. it's back when um, our previous chief, Chief Waring, came in about 2011, he really saw the vision and and had an end goal and he got us to where we were today you know brought in an ops chief you know we we got progressive with things you know again you see on our on our engines you know low hose beds you know pulling hose off the rear you see two tdas i mean the now we're up to six fire stations uh i mean there there's a lot of good things that that is that has happened yeah and even as he's passed it on to our current fire chief chief belcher he's they're still continuing that vision because they were part of that. They grew up, they grew within that. And and that's e- even for myself to be asked in my position when she wearing asses, Hey, you know, I need help, you know, with, you know, a liaison between the fire department and the maintenance shop. And I said, yes, you know, because I had the passion for the other side of the industry still. You of, got the background. You know, right. And, and, and yeah, I, I I really still I still enjoy it. So I mean, and again, you know, there's also challenges that come you know day in and day out. There, you're not going to get away from that, you know. So, um, yeah, I think it's important for leaders to recognize their people and know what their backgrounds are. Right? This is this is how important this is because we want to find the right people for the right jobs. If we want to keep progressing and being proactive and move forward, we definitely need the right people in the right positions. And knowing your background, it's an obvious choice. You know, hey, Roger, would you be interested? You know, this might be right up your alley, right? I mean, it's just great opportunity, and that's how we push forward, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, we, we, yeah. we give give our, our people tools to succeed in their job and help them, with, you know, feel that passion. So as the maintenance coordinator, then, give me a little rundown as, as a department that is growing. Um, responsibilities, I'm sure, are getting grander and grander. I'm sure you have your hands on a lot of different moving parts within. And I want to talk about the industry. I want to talk about spare parts and loose equipment and all that, oh, too. Yeah. But I, I, def- I want to talk about the job itself, the job function. Do you have other guys within your division, or are you a one-man band? What, what I, does this I, look I, like? I have one other guy. Um, he actually has taken on mm. more of the station, fire station stuff, and he's done a phenomenal job with so that. So facilities, yeah, facilities and things like that. And, um, yeah. We both report to uh, assistant chief, and you know that's our our boss. And I deal more which with the vehicles, equipment, and that includes you know our, our light duty fleet, heavy duty fleet, um, making sure we got pump tests on aerial tests, ground ladders, you know, Hamatro tool, Amkis tool servicing, uh, hose testing, all, all that gamut. Yeah. And right now, I mean, do you guys do in house PMs? Yeah, we have our own city shop that that uh, 
will do that for oh, us. The, okay, so the, the city, what, Department of Public Works or somebody like that has a mechanics division? Yes, sir. And they do all the, the PMs, tire yes, repairs, things like that? Okay. Yes, sir. So I'm that liaison between them and the fire department. Um, even right now, is I'm working on a new light-duty vehicle for our special ops chief, and we're kind of working on another heavy heavy-duty vehicle, actually two heavy-duty vehicles, for the current budget year and then the new budget year so nice. there's there's always something going on you know <laughs> here and, and it's just just yeah. full full speed and that's just yeah. you know our side of things now just imagine on the floor with training and all the things that they're doing i mean they're just non-stop yeah yeah so let me ask you i want to i want to dive in though so how big's the fleet what do you manage right now if you if you break it down i just want to put it in perspective for people that are listening you know, I'm envisioning, you know, six stations, so probably six engines, two trucks, and give it give me the rundown. All right, so we've got six engines, three reserve engines, two tillers, one reserve tower, um, heavy rescue, that's a hazmat unit, that's also light and air truck, and um, EMS squad truck, battalion chief truck, and then just your admin fleet. Right. That's, that's us. It's, and it's, that, it's that's enough, enough to... It that's is. enough to keep you busy it for is. sure, man. It is. What are you looking at? Can you can you spill are these secrets? What you're working on? What do you what are you working on? Are you allowed to talk about it, or you got to take the fifth on this? I got to take the fifth on that right. at, the, at the moment, but it's it's going right. to be it's be pretty special though. I, I can tell you that it's um. Well, that's cool. I love it. Can you talk about what you're doing for the operations chief? I'm always interested. Um, how the how and you don't have to if, yeah, if yeah, you no, can't. No, I, 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 I get can, it. I can talk about that. We're just looking at a um. Yeah, because I love the I love how that position has uh, changed as well in the fire service. And typically, the vehicle that represents their job is changing. We're going. We went from, you know, cars to SUVs, and now we're going to typically utility uh, like pickup trucks or or work trucks. Well, so th- what are you looking at, Jeremy? The thing I've learned about no matter what it is is you have to learn what their needs are because. Not yes. every one thing fits what they want. And and it's our, our our special ops chief, he's looking at a you know pickup truck. He's looking at a you know two fifty or twenty five hundred, you know. He wants a deck system with, with a cargo guide to back, you know, he wants a winch on the front, you know. And these are things that are important to him for what he envisions what he's gonna run it up into. So yeah. what he needs is going to be different than, say, you know, assistant chief or a battalion right, chief. Right, right, you know, so, Absolutely. You know, where you could go with an SUV or, you know, we, we've even tried the pickup truck concept for the battalion chiefs back, ooh, say 2013-ish or so. And right. they liked going down to the SUV. It just was okay. better. So, you know. Again, it's not always a one fits one one at all. The challenge, I, I, I will say though, of late, and as I'd say in the past two years especially, has been what's available. That's been very challenging. Um, we've been very fortunate on some of our light duty vehicle purchases on where we've been getting them. But again, there, I can tell you there's some other departments and even ourselves, there was, I'll get into that in a second, is you get what you get. You get the color you get, the options, you know, you get what you get. And and it's, it is frustrating, but, you know, you de- again, we're dealing with taxpayer money, so you have to be conscientious of that too. Oh, 100%. Um, 
this one vehicle we, we, we got, it was supposed to be red and it got pulled right off from us. So we were back, you know, pedaling, wondering, well, what other color is going to work for us? And actually ended up being for our fire marshal. And uh, it was a black Silverado 1500. And actually, it looks really sharp. <laughs> we, we, cause I remember, I remember the fire marshal, he's like, he just threw it out there. He's like, let's, how about color black? And we're all like, okay and then we came in it's like wow <laughs> it's yeah yeah no i love that i mean aesthetics is one thing but i i agree with you and knowing a lot of guys that are in the upfitting area um that run companies that do upfitting build cabinetry all that stuff and, the and availability I, of go ahead I, I learned it on that fire marshal truck too that there was a lot of things that he needed specifically that wasn't going to be a typical okay we're just gonna get you a pickup truck with camper shell and, and you know bed no he, he needs certain specifics for the because he's not just doing the fire marshal stuff. He's also doing an investigation, fire investigation right. stuff. So there were certain right. needs that he had to have. Like shovels, chargers, all that stuff that goes along with his Lock, duties. Yeah, Lockable side compartments. Yes. You know, flip, flip door. Because he, if he's got to ha have evidence back there. I mean, yes. So you, you, you got you to learn that. And, and you, you got to listen to the guys when, when they're telling you these things, when you're t putting it together for them. That's a, you make a very good point. And I think that's where when you have a system that works you know you have people in positions that want to know what the best way to move forward is so hey what do you need what are your what are your must-haves what are your wants what can you do without right yep, let's break yeah. this down let's figure this out what does your job require you to carry and do and so on and then you can build around that i think that's a very smart way to go about it and i think it's the same thing on the larger apparatus too, the heavy apparatus, it's because on a tiller per se, you, you made a very good point before. Not only is it performing truck operations, shit, you could put a pump on it if you needed to, but you could also turn it into a rescue truck as well. You have the real estate to hold the equipment necessary to do multifunction. It, it is, it's not a secret. I mean, you, you can you know, check out our social media page and, and you see the guys out there doing, you know, high angle, low angle rope rescue operations yeah. and they're using the, the the ladders you know for where your anchor points are and such and, and they're training on that so it's they're they're using these things that that are being provided it's just not well it, we're, we're checking the box no they're, they're they're really using it i mean just the other day our um ladder 302 is out at sorrow medical they had a um crane they worked out with, with the um contractor there for a rescue for that it was a drill but they they learned how to, to do that so i mean it was just different different things they're they're thinking outside yeah. side the box well i love and and that's where the creativity come we need people that are creative right we need people that have some vision to say hey we could do this with this here's an opportunity right we get sometimes we get stuck with people making decisions that have zero vision and they're replacing what they had today with you know, they're replacing what's existing today with the same thing because that's what we had and not looking at what potential is. Like, I look at it this way, right, with, you know, a lot of departments now carrying ballistic um, equipment, right, for, yeah. for mass shooter events and things like that. That is something that engine companies, EMS units, they have to take into account. That's heavy, bulky equipment. We, we need to look forward and say, do we need more storage on the interior? Do we need a compartment that can allow for growth if we have to take on a different task, right? Those are all things that have to go through your head every single day. Yeah, a few years ago, our, our, our ops chief brought that to our, our, our attention, and that was something that we needed to do. And, and we're still, you know, progressing forward on that, you know, and 
that was a real need. But again, that takes up space. So you got to put yes. it somewhere. And, and it's not just of, well, let's just throw it here and, and just hope it works. It, it, it doesn't work like that. I mean, you got to yeah. have, have room for these things. And especially in today's apparatus, you need to build a little bit for growth. And, yes. and it's always been the, we'll slam everything in, in, into a truck and, you know, see if it's going to work. And then, you know, the lifetime of you owning the truck is going to change of what you're going to carry. I think, you know, that's just, that's just the, the fire service. Sure. Sure. I mean, you got to build for the future too. And so let me ask you, do you have a process that you instituted or something that you do to help the, the committee? Obviously you're not just one man. There's a committee behind yep, all of absolutely. this. Absolutely. Um, but is there a process like I know some departments measure out the compartmentation, figure out the best layout, especially going from a straight, you know, a straight frame to a bendy frame, right? This was a whole new animal for you, right? It, so it, there was, was a lot, probably a lot of learning in the process. A lot of learning on on that front. Um, one of the, a lot of the things that we helped us was once we knew how much transverse space we had on the on the trailer body, and then what we could do with that. Yeah, and then when we got to um, the dealership, and then when he started, you know, putting equipment out and, and doing that, that was a huge help. Um, then when it came to the second one, it was a little bit easier. We still had to do the same process because we had that built in, and and I can tell you that that other truck was didn't go the same way as the first truck did. It was totally different crew, totally different committee. They did learn the things from the you know, latter companies, so they did take you know their suggestions, but they also needed to upfit it and lay it out the way that was going to be best for them for their district. Yeah, do you carry ex do you carry rescue equipment on the on the TDAs? Yes, sir. Yes, okay. sir. Yeah, we both carry carry uh, battery operated Homotro tools on both um, Paratec struts. Um, Full complement of rope rescue equipment. I mean, it's 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 a rolling toolbox. Substantial. You still have room, or are you maxed out? Pretty pretty close <laughs> to being maxed out, to be honest with you. Yes. I believe it. I yeah. believe it. I remember but, seeing but, the truck. And but, but again, yeah, we, we went from you know our previous arrows from that. We had a seventy-five foot E one stick. We had a right. Two, uh, still have it is a O two Suffin tower, and then a O six E one tower. You know, so you're trying to fit all, trying to get more space and more room, which we did. Then you max it out because you you can do the, all these functions, and especially on the tower ladders. I mean, you're you're tapped for room. Period. I mean, when the yeah. guys when the guys transfer in the suffin, I mean, it's busting at the seams with, with equipment because they're trying to you know keep all the stuff from the mainline truck, and it's it's almost impossible. But we do the best we can. Well, of course, right? And that's where it takes some vision too, right? It's like you got to get creative and crafty when you're doing these things. So that's why I was curious if you had a any type of plan or way to go about it to determine what goes where and how it all works out. Uh, I just recently posted something that was really cool. This department used instead of – I've seen it with lumber, but they used cardboard. And they made cardboard yeah, compartments that. that are were life-size, right? Yeah. Like super creative. Doesn't take much, but – Go to the local, you know, grocery store, get cardboard boxes from them, cut it up to the dimensional values that the compartments are, tape them together, and now you have a, a, a life-size representation of what your compartments look like. It's a great way to, to figure out layout. Jeremy, the guy's done phenomenal between 
each of the rigs. Um, yeah. They would, you know, like I said, ladder, go back to ladder 302, they took out the paper and drew out everything. Um, e- even they'll get on the um, interactive boards and draw things out that way. Do do the research on, you know, the, the, the tools, the dimensions, and, and they'll just start pulling out the tape measure. I mean, they're they're doing this in a firehouse. I mean, that's, that's what's really cool. And, and they're being, being involved and proactive with, especially when they know that they're getting that new piece and they're being part of it. There's something about a TDA, Roger. There's just something about it. Like guys will buy into it, man. It's like, look at this, look at what they're backing into our firehouse in six months. Like, look what's coming. We got to do the work. There's a lot of pride and ownership that goes into something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And and, and again, each one had their niche. I mean, there, there's even on um, this last one on Ladder Three Hundred One where the guys come up with, with some of the graphics. I mean, it, it looked really sharp. I mean, they did they did some great stuff. And there, there was some, and there, and there was some give and take too. I mean, you, you know, there's same, some things like, hey, let's see what what it's going to be. You know, on the dollars wise, and then when it comes back, it's like, well, what what is going to be the make or break thing for you? You know, yeah. and that's that's the reality. Well, I think that's where a lot of the ownership comes from is when you let people be a part of the process, right? The guys that are riding this truck every single day, if they have the, uh, if you give them the opportunity to be a part of the process, there's this buy-in inherently from the get. It's because you are allowing them to be part of the process. And, and when you do that, you'll get more out of them. And chances are it's going to be a better process which will result in a better end product because they are a part of it. i love that yeah i mean I, i'll tell you there like it says uh, there, there's one shift where guys are out constantly like you won't see that ladder truck in the station for hours because they're out there doing it training in the field and it's and, I, and i've i've seen it it's so cool to see see that i mean even so much as going out in placement of the aerial where to go out in certain areas of you know how far they have to stretch and, and what they can do yeah yeah so let me ask you this then uh, we're talking about apparatus we're talking about replacements that you've done you said you're you're looking at this year's budget next year's budget for a couple other opportunities that are going to come your way of designing and building additional apparatus coming to the fleet what are we doing with that because Right now, as the maintenance coordinator, how are you budgeting and scheduling for apparatus replacement when we're talking three and four years out on delivery? We've been very fortunate that we've had great support from from our city council. It, it, it starts there. If you don't have that, I mean, it, you you can't do nothing. And we've the, our our city council and our public safety. They're a big. They work hand in hand. They they are big, um, big supporter of public safety. So that is also benefit for us. But we've also had this just didn't happen overnight. This has been almost 10, 12 years worth of getting to where we are today. So that we, yeah, if we look at today, like you know, we have to look at an upcoming engine to replace, and that's three years out. Do I think that the current unit can make it? You know, another three years. If we just just decided to start this process, hey, we're going to do an apparatus replacement plan today, and hope to God it will work. That doesn't work in today's world right now, and it kind of bleeds into another thing I'll talk about in a little bit later. Is are we finding these stopgap tr- trucks? If that my current truck can't make it 
for that, that extended period of time. And I, I'm also I'm also seeing that out in the industry as well. Hundred percent. But the problem is, those stopgap your words stopgap trucks, they're getting fewer and fewer available because people are gobbling them up. You're right. And and the tertiary market, the used market, right? The stock market, uh, the stock build market, like those opportunities. They're they're becoming fewer and fewer because they're being gobbled up because departments can't wait. The way that this the way that the deliveries in the, in these builds have gone, people can't wait 28, 30, 36, 40 months for a new apparatus. They just can't wait. And I wonder if the talks are going to get real with most of the uh, groups is re- refurbs of what you have. And I, I don't I, I don't have that answer. Um it would be nice, but then at a certain point, you need to know when's the right time to do the refurb. And if it's if you got too far down the road and it's almost too late, and you also don't want to be upside down in a truck down the road when you're like, maybe we shouldn't have done that. That's it. I mean, refurbishments are not a cheap alternative, depending on how much work has to be done. But a lot of urban centers that are running these trucks 20, 25 runs a day they take a beating. They need replacement, right? And and refurbishment might be a model for a less busier department where you can look at it and say, okay, you know what? It's it's a secondary apparatus. It's a tanker. It's a rescue. You know, a, 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 a second out the door rescue. Things like that. We can we can look at. Go ahead. I'll tell you. Ahead, I'll, I'll tell you one that the back in the uh, early 2000s when i was at lafrance there was a department and, and you may or may not know them it was to pan new york they had yeah, sure. old, old max cfs but they mm-hmm. brought them in and did them for refurbishment they did a pumper they took actually a pumper chassis and we did a uh i think one or two heavy rescues for them on on stainless bodies i mean they came out incredible but that was back then that you know they 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 love those max but I, and they're probably doing less than a thousand runs a year, though. Too, that's the thing, sure. right? So, yeah. So I mean, I, I wonder if you know. Again, those days are coming back, and then and then let's go to, into the workforce on that side of things too. Some of that talent, you know, has since left or you know retired. So now you know the, the new the new ones coming in the manufacturing side. Can they even still do that? I mean, I think mm. I think you're still going to see that on the aerial side of things for sure, but I, I just don't know. The um, it's it's really an interesting time, and I think now more so than ever, where departments and uh, leaders have to find ways to get creative. Um, you have to represent the taxpayers, of course, so you have to find a the best cost solution to a problem that you have. Jeremy, you hit, and it's going to you hit that on the head. Is we're here for the t- because the taxpayer lets us be here, and we have to be smart about what they fund us and that matters it doesn't matter where you live in the united states it 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 really does matter yeah for sure and and you look at like what are opportunities right refurbishment used apparatus um you know even departments are getting creative where they're looking at shared services which is not a very popular topic with a lot of people but from the politician's point of view, from City Hall's point of view, if you have a specialized apparatus that we can share, we can split costs, we can share, we might, it's more palatable today than it's ever been. You know, maybe we don't need a trailer with U- two U2Vs in it. We can, you know, we can get two utilities in a trailer and share it with two other departments. And now it's a regional 
you know, piece of, of equipment sharing. And that's going to save cost. And it's also going to allow now we don't have to buy six of them with three trailers. We have two with one trailer. You and, know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and not just that, but you're, you're seeing in certain areas is where they're combining to just survive. You know, yes. and, and that, yes. that's that's all over. It doesn't matter if you're a volunteer or even a volunteer combination department. You're you're seeing a lot of it just is because I think in the volunteer world, it's getting harder just to find people to, to give the, the same amount of time that you are in the professional side. It's just. That's the reality, Listen, man. That's a that's a whole other <laughs> animal, man. I, I can go down that yeah. road if you want, but you know, to staff an engine adequately with the response times that are required unconditionally by the public we serve, a lot of departments are not hitting those benchmarks anymore, especially in the volunteer world. And that's where real conversations really need to start happening. I know where we are, we regionalized unofficially for uh large occupancy dwellings, right? So if we get any any type of alarm in a in a mid-rise or a senior center or, uh, you know, um, any type of a school or anything like that where you're having a larger population, there's an additional one-on-one coming in from two separate jurisdictions on those runs, right? So we're doing it already, right? It's And then any structural fire, anything of significance, right? Anything out of your everyday that's going to be a little bit more aggressive and resources needed, we're hitting that button quicker. We have automatics built in place now, which years ago we didn't. So we're recognizing that. And I think what, what we have to do is remain, you know, remain uh, vigilant at, at staying ahead of that to make sure that we can provide the service that's required to the, to the residents and the people that we serve. But that all comes down to how, how do we do it when trucks aren't available? How do we do it when we need a new build? And the other thing, too, is like a lot of departments have replacement plans. Like in the volunteer yeah. world, it's not uncommon to be 20, 25 years on a replacement schedule for an apparatus. Now these trucks are being pushed out 25, 30, 35. Now are we in regulation anymore? Are we, are we putting – I mean, I've seen cities – secondhand used equipment back on the road that are pieces of shit that the guys have to stick their feet out to stop, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and, but at the same shot, shot too, is if you have to get into that situation where you have to buy a used piece that you said it on, on your podcast is you've got to do the research. You got to dig 100%. in, you know, you don't, the same shot. You don't want to buy a truck where compartments are falling off or it's pretty, you know, slap or out. Yeah. But you're like, is this going to make sense to get us through to a point where it's smart for, you know, our people that are operating day in, day out, and it's, you know, a good, you know, cost savings for our taxpayer to where we can get to, you know, we're waiting on this new bill to come in. You know, these are the yeah. real, real situations that you have to make make decisions on. And years ago, though, the app, the used apparatus market was much more affordable than it is today because there's such a demand for these secondary units, these used units, the price tags have gone way up on them. And so now you're looking at purchasing an apparatus that's 20 years old or, or 15 years old, and you're purchasing at a, at, for it to be a, a dependent reserve for your department, for, like, say, a career department. Because the reserve fleet in their backyard, they can't even maintain and fix anymore because the parts aren't available. I've come into that where I'm talking with mechanics and I'm talking with shop guys all over the country. And they're like, you know, it's great. I got three engines and a truck out back that are our reserve pieces. 
but this one's missing this, this one's missing this, this one's missing this. I can't put them out in the, into active service because they're not ready to go either because I can't get the parts for them. So, Jeremy, you, you, I'm glad you talk about that because that that's been also a challenge for the past few years. <laughs> um, and it's, you have to, <laughs> you've had to get creative on where to get the parts from. Um, and, and even to, 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 to find out well, who manufactures the part. And, and go to that mm -hmm. and it's you, you have to do the research be proactive to help keep your units going and and that's that's been a challenge you know i don't care which manufacturer it is you know you have to do that you know and, and it's also you know working with your your dealerships you know you know building those relationships to where you can get the, these goals accomplished and, and, and say look i mean trucks down I need it up, and, and, and it's not. I have a ton of reserves, you know, especially on the aerial side. I mean, I, I got one reserve aerial, you know. So right. one, one of the, you know, if I go down two aerials, that's a bad day. That's a real. Yeah, bad. it is. You know, and, and, yes, it is. It's even on you know the engine side. I mean, you just you know, God forbid if you have to replace a radiator. I mean, that's that was also very <laughs> a very real thing, you know. Yes, and, and, then, and then you know who's stocking what parts, you know. And even on the other side of the fence is they're trying to stock as much as they can. But let's be honest. What is today's world most likely is we're, we're the Amazon society of let's – we could get it at a split-second notice. When sure. the pandemic hit, everything screeched to a, a halt. And that, that all changed because we all thought, well, we just get it like that. No. And, and, and we're still feeling effect, effects of it now you know on that you know yes have things gotten better with parts in it for the most part yes but there's still some things i mean you know fire apparatus too they're custom built pieces they're just not say the cookie cutter trucks some maybe some maybe easy to get parts for but you know I, I'll, I'll give you a great example i got a 2012 um reserve pumper that i need an exhaust assembly for and I, when I sent the, the request in for the parts, I says, I don't have, I don't have, you know, to weld up or, or you know, exhaust shop where I could a bend the pipe, to weld the pipe. I needed how it was with the truck. And when you show the parts, like it's not in the stock because it was a custom made piece, and and that's right. that's the reality. Right. You know, years ago, I mean, we would the truck would have to go out of service for a day or two to get a new radiator put in. Yeah. New hose, new belt, right? Yeah. New alternator, something like that. So the truck comes off the line. The reserve goes in its place. The truck goes off the line for 24, 48 hours, maybe even three days. And then it comes back to the line. It's ready to go. The problem is now is our frontline piece goes out for new alternator, new belts, whatever it is. And all of a sudden it goes to the dealer because maybe our own shop can't do it or whatever. Or even our own shop is doing it, but they can't get the parts. Yeah. So now that truck goes what used to be a 24 to 36-hour window or 48-hour window of being down is now down for two weeks, mm -hmm. three weeks. Mm -hmm. And that reserve now has to take the brunt of the first-line duty, and that reserve is screaming for help. And so this is that this is that problem where we're constant. It's like running in sand. It's like you're 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 trying to get some momentum here, but as soon as something comes up like that, it sets you way back. And I'll and I'll go on onto the other spec to the other side of the fence of it. I'll just take on the, the motor side. Like you know, your Cummins dealerships, your Detroit dealerships. Yeah, they right. are slam hundred yeah, percent full. 
And you know what the problem they also yes. have too? We need help. We need help. And, and trying to find I text. passed the Cummins dealer. There's a Cummins dealer 15 minutes from where I live, right on the highway. I pass by, and I can't even tell you how many New York City apparatus are backed into that lot, and they just sit there. And they're probably on warranty work, and they're sitting there. And you pass by the first week, the second week, they're still sitting there. And then other departments' trucks are still sitting there. And you wonder, like, what the hell's wrong with them that they're sitting there for three weeks, four weeks? How, you know, and it's just, it's that type of mindset. And I know talking with a lot of guys in your position, Roger, as maintenance coordinators, apparatus coordinators, guys that run the shops, their budgets went sky high because they started buying their own parts to put on their own shelves. They're buying one extra of this, one extra of that, where they would have never done that before. And they only budgeted for that when the repair had to happen. But now they're creating larger stock rooms so that they have availability on stupid parts. You're absolutely right, Jeremy. It was, we're stopping more parts than we ever have before. Um, yeah. Because you don't want to be in that situation. Of That's right. Now waiting months on end. What do you see? I, it, it, one of the other interesting conversations, too, not that it's any easier per se, but commercial apparatus. You're starting to see more commercial chassis again, especially for those secondary units, um, you know, where the, the manufacturers trying to keep up with deliveries and trying to bring the delivery times down. People are looking towards Kenworth or, you know, uh, you know, Freightliner and different commercial apparatus to offset the, the custom chassis as well. I, I'd see that to a point. I think still customer yeah. specific, but I can tell you that they're also experiencing extreme long lead times oh, on, on, I know. on that too. So yeah. it, it's almost like you're you're pinched off in, in, in a hard spot. Yeah. So let me ask you, what do you what do you foresee? And this is just your opinion, because I have mine and I'd love to share them with you. But I'm curious what you're seeing as the market moves forward. Do you think that the apparatus market is doing anything to try to get themselves back online? I think, they, or is this going to be the way it is? Like, is this? Yeah, that's what I'm curious about. I think it's going to be to a point. I think what is going to happen is you're going to see. I want to say, you know, less true custom units, but I think you're going to see only certain options to that they can get things back to a normal rhythm, because yes. these these long lead times, I, I just don't think it's going to work. It 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 can't. You know. Um, do I see maybe two, two to three year out builds? Yeah, I don't think that's going to go away, but I do see the, the market eventually going to, guys, this is what we can offer you. And, you know, it's it's what it is. And I think that's going to be I everybody this, across the board. I have this wild, this wild conspiracy theory in my head. I almost feel like this thing was all manufactured. I'm just going to say it. I've never really said this publicly before. I think this whole thing was, it was manufactured in a way just because now we can rein it in. When we go too far out and too far custom, it pushes lead times out. And it gets very expensive for the manufacturers. Yes, they bill for it, but you're not, the markups there are not what they could be or should be on fully custom. And so what I think is going to happen, my per, this is just my personal opinion, talking to people across the industry and as involved as I am and getting in conversations and groups, I think they're going to bring it back around where standardization is going to be the norm. I think you're going to be able to order a fire truck online. 
I think you're going to be able to go to a manufacturer and hit drop-down boxes. You want this chassis? Here are your options. On, on those options, these are your options. On those options, these are your options. And you're going to literally be able to go down the line and build a truck online. Because what we're doing and what I'm seeing daily are departments that are willing to sacrifice things they want for the expeditious nature of getting a quicker delivery back, right? So we can forego, I don't need this, I don't need that, I don't need those. Those are things we wanted, we don't need them if I can get the truck in 24 months instead of 40 months. And I don't want to pay that bill. So I think what's going to happen personally is I think they're going to standardize a lot of the builds and say, if you want a truck within 24 months at a good price tag, you're going to go down this checkbox list, and these are all the options for every option you have. And as long as you stay within those parameters, we can deliver that truck at an affordable cost in the delivery time frame that's acceptable to everybody in the industry. If you deviate or you want anything different, the price is going to go through the roof, and you're going to pay for it, and you're going to wait for it. And I really think, this is my personal opinion, as I think they're trying to rein that in. And I think they're trying to standardize it because standardization is an easier way and more profitable way for apparatus manufacturers to build trucks because they can plan and they can and put together a build plan and have parts ready to go and items in stock that they can control the supply chain when it's standard. It's as soon as we get outside the standard and we get more and more custom do the, do the lead times get pushed out and the price tags go up? And I think manufacturers want to pull it all back, and I think they want to standardize a lot of the builds. They'll still have 25% that are willing to wait and spend the money, but that other 75%, I don't know what the number is, 60, 40, 50, 50, 30, 70, I don't know. But I think a lot of uh, more urban settings and more cost-conscious departments, maybe not your, you know, some of these fire districts are willing to pay extra for the, for the frills that they want. And that's just, that's just reality in the fire service. But there's also departments that are like, hey, we need an affordable truck that can do this job, and that's all we need. And so we're going to standardize this. And if we can get them quicker at a more affordable rate because we're willing to forego all these wants and we just need the necessities, I think that's where we're going to head. I agree, but I also disagree because when you look mm. at on the manufacturing side, they're the ones that are stocking the stuff, and they're not. And uh, because that's costing them money to stock these parts on the shelf to hope to hope that that we buy these parts and and build this stuff. So they're not going to lose money by just stop having a stock of this stuff, and then you know as they're doing their inventory. But if you have, but if you only have four options on the build for uh or two options on the air horn or or the trim bands or the the material right if we can if we can narrow in on the options that are available to us we know that x percentage of the builds will have this it's not that they're stocking it it's that they're planning their inventory around that and they know what the numbers are now with a more custom market everybody's coming in from left field with all different shit i can agree and and uh, to move on a, on a you know, another side of this too was mm. just of recent. I've also had to find ways to, even locally, get things accomplished. You know, yeah. using local, using good local fabricators to get get things yes. done. And, and it's, there's nothing wrong with that. But you have to do what's best for your your agency. You have to do what's best for your your people you serve. You know, and, and relationships, and, man, and they, they matter. They they sure do. And and. I've learned that over the years and, and I've been very blessed to have networked with some wonder, wonderful people. 
Um, I, I think, you know, some of the most important people in my world are like fabricators that I know that I have a very good relationship with. And every time I go to see them, I bring them a coffee cake or every time I go, I make sure I buy him lunch or something because you never know when you need to call upon him. And they're so freaking busy. These fabricators, welders, right? All these guys that do fabrication, all these custom shops. When you need something, man, you're going to have to get in line, and then you pay for it. You know why? Because there's not a lot of great welders out there. There's not a lot of but, great fabricators, and we need more of that, too. You know, you hit the nail on the head, too, is you go to trade schools, tra you know, trades, and that's a yeah. big thing. And that's what I was going back to with on the manufacturing side is a lot of the ta talent, you know, pre-pandemic or just rent pandemic has either retired or they just left. And, and, and that talent is gone, and now you're trying to – replenish that well if i don't have trade schools guys learn these trades that's also going into this you know animal of why are these long lead times that's right you know well we just that's right it's not there you know so we got to get crazy buddy of mine's had a truck sitting on the line they did final inspection four months ago it's still at the factory and it still needs things done to it but i, I do i you're right it, it, it's 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 a different world we live in now it sure is but let's let's focus on that. Like, let's find ways to combat it. I think, yeah. you know, what what I think is missing, too, is the the customer approach as well. And I think we need to do better at that. I think that we've become a little complacent and lazy when we can just point the finger and blame supply chain like that drove me nuts. I mean, during covid right i mean we i sold our family business my family sold the family business right before covid like timings everything right we sold it before covid i don't know if our family business would have survived through covid to be honest with you right with the way everything was just shut off but the company that bought us gave us more opportunities because we had different product lines to go sell but you know what it took salesmanship it took people care we didn't i couldn't turn around and tell my customers that were running three shifts Right, they're running manufacturing facilities, production facilities that are running second, third shifts. I can't turn around and tell them, "Sorry, I can't get you that supply chain issues." That's not an answer. Like you can't. Not when you're going to be down tens of thousands of dollars an hour manufacturing. They don't give a shit what the supply chain issue is. Drive there yourself and go get it if you have to. And that's the we have to focus on that. And I think we it's easy to always point the finger and blame and say, oh, well, there's supply chain issues. Oh, there's this. Or, you know, hey, did you find? No, I, I called two places. Well, call 10, right? Yeah. Like, and that's the thing. I think we have to get to that. And in the fire apparatus world, we got to take care of the customers, man. I mean, I think a lot of manufacturers take for granted that the customers are there and that they have a certain share of the market share and they're content with that. I'm not a content guy, Roger. We got we got to find the solutions, you know, and, yes. and and even as the end user, you know, the the customer working with the manufacturers, like we'll help you get the solutions, you know. But you know, it's again that negotiating, it's the you know working to come to to resolution, and 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 that that's big, you know. And and, and I remember even a few few weeks ago was talking about, you know, one of the manufacturers is, is do the homework, you know, sit with them, you know, pick each other's brains. And I, I think it was the New Jersey pumper it was the uh, the low side compartments that they, they talked about. Lakewood? Yes. The, the one that we yes. did, Chief Yard? Yes, yeah. sir. I mean, and, Absolutely. And, and that's, that's what you have to do. You know, it's mm. just, we can't, we just can't assume. We have to work with each other. Um, 
I do want to talk about uh, you go back to the used apparatus. Uh, that's an, yeah. another hat I wear is I work for a company called Command Fire Apparatus, where we right. buy and sell used fire apparatus. And it's you're right. It's it's a very hot market. Um, you know, everybody's needs are a little different. You know, sometimes people buy trucks for, you know, stop get measures. Sometimes they'll, you know, compartments combined and they can't, um, you know, can't keep the doors open, but they can have to sell this piece off to, you know, help out their financial situation. You know, you know we, we right. help out with that. Um, so I, I've, I've seen that side and, you know, some are even in a situation where I, I got to replace a really old truck and, and we have something, we have a good used piece, you know, that we can send off to them. So. We had, uh, years ago, God, this was, I mean, I was, <sighs> I don't even know. Back uh, when was Katrina? What year was Katrina? Do you know off the that top of your was... head? Hurricane Katrina. Hang on, I want to look it up because I want to put this in perspective here. Hurricane Katrina. When it, Hurricane Katrina wiped out, obviously, like uh, New Orleans. Orleans, Louisiana, that whole area. Um, August of two thousand five. Yep. So as Katrina came through and wiped out. Uh, the south like that we had an old ford pierce brush truck that we had and at the time we were looking to uh replace it and so we said well why don't we donate it um and so we did and we titled the truck brotherhood like put new decals on it lettered it for the department all this had it flatbedded down through a non-profit program it was awesome right and got fountain blue mississippi i think it went to uh if i'm if i if I remember correctly. Um, and it went down there and that thing saw a ton of fire duty and it put out more fires down there in six months than it did probably in 20 years with us or whatever it was. But the, th but the thing is this, right? It was a brush truck, but they were running it front line. Fast forward to today. I was literally three days ago talking to my chief and he said, you know what I just heard? He said, I heard that truck still running and still putting out fires down there. Wow. And it's, and I was like, get out of here. It was like, it's an 80, I think it was like an 82 or something like that. And I mean, the thing was cool. I, was, I looked at my chair. I said, we should have never got rid of it, man. That thing was, that thing was a cream. That was like you my, know? my old apartment at uh, Doyle Host Company, number one in Cheektowaga, New York. Um, Cheektowaga. Yeah. I know those guys up yep. there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. We had a 99 E1 rescue pumper and they replaced it. I think it was when you got the new ladder in 2013 and department in south america they come up they looked it over yep. they liked it and they drove it away down to south america i still i follow their facebook page and that truck is still kicking and going strong and that was one of those ones <laughs> everybody's like we should never got rid of that truck i love it i love it yeah well i mean that's hey you know what that's part of what this is all about too is paying it forward giving it you know yeah. giving it away and, and letting others enjoy you know, the good times we had with it as well, right? We're, we have the fortunate abilities to get new apparatus or replace the apparatus here. You know, I don't want to see those things go to a scrapyard. I want them to go somewhere. And it's just like today, like I just heard, like we had replaced our Hearst equipment a while back. And so we have a lot of different Hearst equipment, but a lot of it's low pressure stuff and they no longer service that. Yeah. And so now we have equipment that's less than 10 years old that is literally junk. Yeah. Like nobody, so I've got to figure out a way and hint, hint, wink, wink on National Fire Radio. If there's departments out there that are that need anything, let me up. Let yeah. me know because 
like this is in our market, right? We can afford the equipment, and so we can we can do that. And if we can't get the equipment replaced, maybe they just need a simple set of O rings or you know a couple wiper seals on a piston or something like. You know, these guys are probably talented enough to do it themselves and get themselves some reliable equipment. I hate seeing this stuff just go to waste. I really do. Yeah, I, 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 I hear you. And it's also, you know, the knowing what the market's driving at, too, and cutting stuff loose when you see the next thing coming. And, and the battery op tools was the big one. And, and yeah. you know, yeah. Um, it's it's unfortunate you're not going to get a lot a lot for it, but it's like if somebody can still use it, by all means, do it. You know, and and we are we are jaded in a way in the fire service, not understanding that literally a large percentage of the fire service are small towns struggling to get by, and its neighbors helping neighbors. And you know, where I come from, where you come from, we have municipal fire departments that are well funded. Uh, we have the equipment we need. We have the apparatus we need. Um, we always want more staffing, but we're we're pretty okay. And then there's other departments that literally have a 1956 Dodge engine backed into the local garage downtown, and that's that's their fire department. And we have to be conscious of that, that that is a big part of Americana. That is what volunteer firefighting is about, and those are the foundational roots. And a lot of towns still have that. Yeah, there's there was a town in the middle of New York State, and they're in, like, in the Valley of the Mountains, where they're trying to replace a 30-year-old Mac. And yeah. um, they, they says they can't buy a used truck because they says that it just doesn't have enough horsepower to go up and down the hills. And I, I believe it to a point, but um, they're not wrong. And, and they're doing they're doing GoFundMes right now for, for a yeah. truck. It's They just don't have those funds. Guys, guys that are firemen in, in departments that don't have to do the fundraising to buy equipment, I mean, think about the dedication that goes into having to run fundraisers to make enough money to buy a million-dollar piece of equipment to protect their own neighbors. Think about the dedication and passion that has to go into that in order for you to do your job, right? Me, I go, when it's time to go to the firehouse, I go to the firehouse, and I jump on a truck that's provided to me, and the firehouse is heated. I don't have to pay the heating bill. We don't have to have fundraisers to put the lights on or insure the vehicles or buy a helmet like i don't i don't have any of those struggles and i'm i'm fortunate for that but to be honest with you perspective i didn't even think about any of that until i started national fire radio started traveling like i do and all of a sudden you see what a lot of these fire districts deal with yeah and i am like man i am i'm a lucky man for where i'm growing up and where i've been a fireman it's a, because it's, every tool that i need has been given it's an eye opener for sure yeah for sure Roger, what's next for you, man? The witching hour is coming, bro. These conversations go fast. What's next for you? What's next for Somerville? I know you said something interesting to me before I hit the record button. Dad Bod Sports. What is that? Podcast, uh, me, and a, Come on. me and a couple of our buddies uh, who who uh, used to work with us, uh, we still, we're kicking it back up again. We did it back, I think, in 2021, and we just talked sports. We talked football, uh, baseball, hockey, um, basketball. I mean, it was just we all had our little little niches, and we get on each other's nerves, banter back and forth, and um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I love that. So uh, we're we're kicking it back up um, probably next month, um, just before the NFL draft, and it's it's just a chance to get the guys together and just talk sports, yes. to get away from the everyday stuff and just to to talk mindless stuff. 
Well, I love that because as soon as I brought it up, you smiled and laughed. And so I can see how important it is to you and the passion that you have for it. But, I mean, that is super important, right? Just a, just a little bit of an escape from your everyday. Um, that's awesome, man. So good luck with that. We're plugging it. Dad Bod Sports. Check them out. Podcast. It's returning. Roger. Thank you, brother. Thanks for joining me today, man. Like I said, this was long overdue, yeah. but it was a fun conversation talking about trucks and uh, and about a little bit about you, and uh, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Anytime, Jeremy. This, this has been great. Cool. Roger, if people want to reach out, if they have any questions for you, I know you were talking about used apparatus. You're involved in that. What was the name of that company again that you're working with? Command Fire Apparatus. Command? Okay. Awesome. But I know, you know, the reason why I wanted to have this conversation with you today is because I know how well-versed you are in a lot of these topics. And so I'm sure you would welcome questions or if people had any interest. But uh, where can people find you or reach out to you if uh, if they have a question for you? Find me on Facebook, probably the best way, way on social media. Um, cool. And I can go from there. Yeah, cool. Roger, thanks again, man. Appreciate you joining me today. Hang out right here. I'll be right back to you, okay? Thanks, Let me just close out. Yeah, man, anytime. Guys, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast. Roger Winnick out of Somerville, South Carolina. A great conversation. He's the maintenance coordinator for the department. This conversation's been long overdue, not just because of the relationship Roger and I have over these years, but also for maintenance coordinators and how important <laughs> these guys are the unsung heroes of the firehouse, if you ask me. These are the guys that get it done for us every single day. They let us run. They get our equipment uh, maintenance and, and new purchasing. I mean, it's just the list goes on and on of what they do behind the scenes every single day. So what a fun conversation today. And do me a favor, take this conversation, take it back to the firehouse and talk about it. Cause when we're talking about the job, we'll make the job better. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy national fire radio. National fire radio.